There's no more beautiful time in the city of Vancouver than spring. Of course, I'm referring to the cherry trees that are currently showing off. Did you know there are 40,000 cherry trees in Vancouver? And spring is their time to bloom and dazzle our city streets and parks. And yet for all of the beauty of the cherry tree that we see above the surface, we're reminded that something really important is happening beneath the surface that we don't see. Beneath the surface is where that tree got its start as just a little seed. And beneath the surface is where that tree developed roots, roots which nourish the tree, keep it alive, roots which anchor that tree and give it stability and security. And you and I know what happens in the midst of a winter storm when a tree in Vancouver does not have a good root system. Here's a picture of just a couple of blocks from my house. The tree has fallen, but my kids are so happy just standing on it, smiling, posing for the picture. You know, the Bible talks a lot about a tree and its roots as a metaphor to depict our life and formation. And this morning, for a few minutes, we're going to look at if, if that is an accurate depiction of our lives, what are our roots? In Psalm 1, we read this, that blessed is the one who delights in the law of God. They will prosper because they're like a tree planted by the waters. And in our text today, Paul picks up on this image in Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, that seed of faith where it started, continue in him, rooted and built up in him. Well, we're in the middle of a series here that Alvin kicked off last week in the book of Colossians. And we're looking how, at how Jesus is not only the creator, but he is recreating. He is renewing all things, making all things new. And you and I get to be a part of that recreation story. And this morning, we're invited through this passage to look at our roots. What nourishes us? What nourishes our lives? What holds us? and gives us strength and confidence in the midst of the windstorms of life. Roots are important. It's been said that we are rootless people moving from city to city, relationship to relationship, job to job. Listen to how one young woman, Alexa, who's 24, puts it. She says, I'm a part of a rootless generation. We graduate from college to find the world mostly uninterested in what we thought were our accomplishments. So we drift about, not aimlessly, but in search of something not quite tangible. We pursue our wanderlust in various ways, whether it be graduate school or running off to a foreign country. I worry that this makes us underachievers, 
We have to look for a way to succeed to examine the horrifying question of what actually constitutes a meaningful life. Paul is telling us and reminding us to look back at that seed of faith, to go back to the very roots and to remember who it is, who it is that grounds us and nourishes us in our faith. It is Jesus Christ. But how do we do this? Well, in the rest of this passage, Paul tells us about two things, and I want to unpack these briefly with you. He tells us about what the false roots are and what are true roots. What are the weak and shallow and false roots which will not nourish and sustain us? And what are the true and deep roots that will hold us and keep us secure? We continue in this passage with verse 8. Listen to the false roots that Paul warns us about. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So the false roots that we are tempted to put our confidence in, he says, are hollow and deceptive philosophies. I like how Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message, puts it. Empty superstitions of spirit beings. Now, what you need to know is that the Colossians come from a worldview of mystical polytheism, where all of the Greek and Roman gods, they believed, governed everyday human events and human affairs. And so the Colossians believed that if you wanted a successful and prosperous and healthy life, you needed to appease all of the gods, stay on their good side, and thus you would be successful and healthy. And so when Jesus came into the mix, the Colossians embraced Jesus with their whole hearts, but they simply were tempted to believe Jesus was one of many other gods. In other words, Jesus was good, but Jesus plus Zeus was better. Jesus was great, but Jesus plus Venus and Apollo and Aphrodite was even better. You're covering all your bases. These are some of the elemental spiritual forces or the empty superstitions that Paul was talking about. Now, you may be wondering, well, what what does that have to do with me? I'm not superstitious. But in the words of the great Michael Scott, you and I may not be superstitious, but it seems to me we are a little stitious. We are a little stitious at times. Now let me share with you a story that is a little bit embarrassing, but I think it will give you an insight into the things that we add to Jesus. Maybe we would call them superstitious things. When I was a young Christian, my late teens had surrendered my life to Christ, there would be a day where there would be a big test or a presentation at school, or my hockey team would be playing in a final game. And my prayers on that day went something like this. Oh, Lord, I need you today. I really need you to help me with that presentation. And Lord, I read extra scripture this morning, an extra page. Lord, you know that I've started tithing, even though I don't have very much money. And Lord, I I really think that I have not sinned for a solid 24 hours consecutively. 
I'm serious, Lord. I really need your help today. Have you ever found yourself perhaps making deals or bargains with God? A kind of God, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Lord, I will, I will live a good life. I will be virtuous. I will live a morally upright life. I will tithe and I will volunteer. I will go to church early. And you know, nobody goes to church early except the pastor. I will do all those things. And in exchange, I want you to protect me. I want you to, to let me prosper in school or in work. Reminds me of the elder son in the prodigal son story who believes that his whole life is working for his father and then one day says, after all I've done for you. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? You've looked at God and said, we had a deal here. I did my part, now you do your part. Friends, I wonder if these are subtle ways that superstitious thinking creeps into our Christian life and, and causes real pain and havoc. Maybe you would say, you know, I had an awful day and I think it was because I haven't been doing my quiet time of prayer each morning. Maybe you would say to yourself, if I start tithing, I will get that raise and that promotion. Or maybe this gets us into real trouble because when we get sick, we receive a troubling diagnosis. We start to wonder, is God punishing me for some sin that I committed? If I had more faith, God would answer my prayer for healing. We so desperately want to believe that good things happen to good people and that bad things happen to bad people. Friends, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is karma. And sometimes we've blended the two into some kind of strange Christian karma. And I understand why we do it. It's because life is complex and superstitions help to boil it down to simple input-output equations. We go to these superstitions because they give us a feeling of control. But Paul is telling the group of Colossians and telling us that our hope and our confidence is found not in adding a bunch of things to Jesus, but in recognizing the sufficiency of who Jesus is. It is, it is not Jesus plus good works and Jesus plus karma. That leads to a shallow root system. But a deep-rooted, deeply-rooted system is to recognize it's, it's about Jesus and, what he, and who he is and what he's done, the person and the work of Jesus without adding superstitions, without adding additional gods and philosophies. It's found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Paul says to add to Jesus is failing to grasp who he is and what he has done. And so how do we respond to this? How did the people of God in the early times of, of Colossae respond to this? 
Well, to a people who thought that Jesus was good, but you really needed all the other gods to experience the fullness of life, listen to the true roots of what Paul is calling us to. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now that is a lot of dense and really rich material there, and we can't unpack all of that, but I'm going to do a little bit of it. Next week, Pastor Ken will be here to to further unpack this about the centrality of Jesus, the, the work the person and the work of Jesus and how that is enough for us that our confidence comes from him and what he's done. Paul is not praying that we would find something that we don't have, but that we would grow in an understanding and awareness of what we already do have in Jesus Christ. Find your identity, your nourishment, your security in Christ and what he has done. You know, the other day, uh, Ray Aldred, Dr. Ray Aldred was um, leading this course called Indigenous Realities. My wife and I got to um, attend and he, he mentioned something that's probably obvious to you. He said that when in indigenous worldview, the way that someone would introduce themselves would be to talk about their relationships. So when he introduced himself, he talked about his mom and his dad and his kids and where they were and the the relationships. That's what he introduced, how he introduced himself. He said, it's very common in a Western dominant culture that we introduce ourselves how? Anybody want to take a guess? You say your name and then what you do. And depending on what you do, that may be impressive or not so impressive. We put a lot of emphasis on our activity and what we do. Our confidence, our security, our rooted system, our rootedness, often we are tempted to say it's in our accomplishments and what we do. And the gospel of Jesus Christ confronts that. And it says, actually, To find deep roots is not in what you do, it's in what Christ does. And if you really want to do something, heed the words of Romans 12 in the message version. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. If you want to know what you can do for God that's really significant and important, Embrace what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. Accept it. Cherish it. Live it. Believe it. Come back time and time again like the Apostle Paul did to my confidence and my hope and my security is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And what he accomplished 
on the cross and the resurrection. What did Jesus do for us? Well, Paul says that you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed of human hands. Now, can we just acknowledge this is weird? Uh, it's Sunday morning. Why are we talking about circumcision? Uh, circumcision is mentioned all throughout the Bible. Um, some 100 times, Paul loves to talk about circumcision, and sometimes when I read Paul, I go, okay, enough. Just cut it out, Paul. Okay, that was bad. Uh, that, was, that was bad. Um, what, is the, what is the significance of, of circumcision in the Bible? It's that circumcision was a covenant. It was an identity marker of a being in relationship and covenant with God. It was the ultimate identity marker that defined your identity. That was how you came, entered into the community and became, received a sense of belonging within the family of God, within the people of God. And so this is why Paul talks about it so much, is he's saying, do you realize what Christ has accomplished for you? He has brought you in. He has given you the, ultimately, uh, the ultimate identity marker. By believing in him, you have found entrance and belonging into the family of God. You know, we all have these identity markers. This week, you know, we were uh, filling out passports, uh, passport applications. Uh, there's a long wait for passports, by the way, just a little bonus material for you. So if you need one, get, get on that. That, that is a, a type of identity marker that says, I am a citizen of this particular country. But I was thinking about this identity marker, and I, I want to take you back to high school for a moment, Okay. I know that may have been a painful experience for some of you, but you remember in high school, there were all these different cliques. Researchers have actually studied high schools across different cities and cultures and found there are common cliques that exist in high schools. For example, you got your jocks, you got your nerds, your artists, the brains, the stoners, the emo slash goths, the skaters, the preps, the good ats, the band kids, all of these subcultures in which, if you remember in high school, was like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? You know, you got, and then you got people who are like me, maybe who are floaters. You know, you could kind of, you could kind of find a little bit of entrance into this community for a while, and then maybe that one. When I was in, in the 10th grade, I kind of got really fortunate is because Somehow, by a miracle of God, I made the football team. And the football team had this really incredible marker of identity, is on game day, we would wear our football jerseys in class. It was like a status symbol. You are on the football team. And then we would get these big, heavy leather jackets that we would wear proudly and walk the halls. And... In December, that makes sense. In June, when it's 25 degrees and you're wearing a heavy leather jacket, it wasn't about the comfort, it was about the symbol. I belong to this group. This is who I am. This is my identity. I'm sure that you can relate at different levels of, of what that feels like to maybe not to be included in one of those groups. 
Or, or when you're included in one of a group, you, you wonder if you really belong there, if you really fit, or if you're kind of an imposter. And Paul is saying Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross is your, ultimately, is your ultimate identity marker that you have been welcomed in, that you belong to Christ, that you belong to the family of God. Do you, do you understand that? Can you appreciate that? Can you grasp that and come back time and time again? Those are your roots. That is your confidence. While we are tempted to make our identity marker education or career or relationship status, our equation sometimes is Jesus, Jesus is good, but plus a career. Jesus plus a relationship status. That is what we strive for. And Paul is saying it all comes back to Jesus Christ. There's a pastor that wrote a little bit about this, Tulian Chavidjan, who tells the story of one day his church and another church decided to merge. He was appointed the pastor. Now, the other church was an old traditional historic church. And while Tulian thought that this was all in agreement and everyone was happy with this, he soon realized that people from the so-called other church were secretly trying to discredit him. He says this. He says, there were people in the choir who when I would stand up to preach would get up and walk out. People would sit in the front row and just stare me down as I preached. Kind of like Alvin's doing right now. (laughs) It was extremely uncomfortable. People would grab me in the hallway between services and say, you're ruining this church. I'm gonna do everything I can to stop you. I would come out to my car and it would be keyed. There would be petitions on car windows during the worship service. It was terrible. I hope I'm not giving you any ideas here. I just wanna thank you for not doing any of this stuff. Um, This sounds like an awful experience. And yet in the midst of this despair, Tulian goes on vacation, and he just so happens to be in his Bible reading, he comes to the book of Colossians. And he starts to read this, that his confidence, his roots, are to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. And suddenly, the light goes on for him, and he realizes that in his mind, what he needed was Jesus plus the approval and the acceptance of others. And he said it was so clear that the Lord was showing him that that was something that he coveted. He always wanted the the position of being accepted and approved and appreciated. It is what he had experienced before. And now he writes, for the first time, I found myself being in the uncomfortable position of being disliked and distrusted And I realized just how much more I'd been relying on something other than the approval and acceptance that was already mine in Jesus. Now that that is still a difficult situation to work work through, but what Tullian discovered was that his identity and his rootedness could not include the acceptance of everyone else. He came back to 
Jesus Christ accepts me. Jesus Christ has brought me into his family and into his kingdom. My identity, my roots are anchored in God. They're anchored in Jesus Christ and his approval of me. And that's all that I need. And he wrote this beautiful book, which he entitled, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. We want to add Jesus plus good works and Jesus plus karma and Jesus plus a successful career and Jesus plus a certain relationship status. And yet, Paul is calling us back to our true roots, deep roots, that would say Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing is actually everything because in him I find my true identity and my true roots. Friends, what might be, as we close, what might be something that you are tempted to add to the equation? Jesus plus blank, fill in the blank. What, what might that be for you? And how might the Lord be inviting you today, calling you back to remember my, my true roots are found not in what I do, but in Jesus Christ and him crucified. In what he did for me, that is my hope and that is my confidence. Let's pray together. Lord, in a moment, we're going to come to your table and we pray that you would bring us back to our true roots. Would you inspire in us a new confidence in you? Would our confidence be in you and, and what you have accomplished for us? And I pray that you would identify for us where that confidence is misplaced. Friends, just take a moment in the stillness of this moment to just ask the Lord if there's anything that he would draw to your attention anything that you've added to the Jesus plus equation that you feel that you need. Just take a moment to listen to how he might speak into your heart. Bring us back to our great hope and confidence, Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen.